More than 10 years ago now, I moved from my home city of Newcastle to take up a new job in London. When I arrived, I quickly settled into my new house, worked out where the nearest market was and what my local pub would be. The next thing I thought, I needed to find a church. So I came up with a plan to go church shopping. I picked five local churches and decided to try their Sunday services one a week for five weeks. Genius, I thought. I'll see their teaching, their liturgy, and their sense of community. And the one I like the most, that will be my new church. So off I went. Five churches in five weeks. And in every single one of them, I heard the parable of the rich fool and reasons why I should set up a regular payment to help fix their roof, their basement, their boiler, or in some cases, all three. Every one of them had a talk from their treasurer instead of their minister. I'd gone church shopping in stewardship season when I'd heard the sermon on the amount and learned almost nothing about which one would be the right one for me. So today, because of that, I'm gonna be focusing on the first reading from the book of Ecclesiastes and avoiding that sermon on the amount. Last week, as I complained about the heat here, a friend sent me a photograph of a church sign. It said simply, too hot to change sign. Sin bad, Jesus good, details inside. We've all seen these catchy, occasionally funny slogans outside churches. A popular one is too blessed to be depressed. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Think about being so blessed by God and knowing it that you can't possibly be depressed. That's a wonderful thought. Unfortunately, it's not very scriptural. Very seldom does theology do well condensed to five word slogans. If it did, clergy bookshelves would be a lot lighter. Also, unfortunately, the notion that when blessed by God, we are beyond the reach of depression, it's just wrong. In this morning's reading, we encounter a writer better described as blessed and depressed. Sitting right in the middle of our Bibles is a cynic who is blessed and depressed and he's not afraid to say so. The teacher writes that he was the king of Israel in Jerusalem. Some say Solomon himself. And he later goes on to tell of his accomplishments saying, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water that forest of growing trees. And what did this wealthy man think of all he had done? He wrote, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The word translated there and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes as vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. The plain sense meaning of the word is a puff of wind, a vapor, a breath. The teacher uses hevel to describe how everything is quickly passing away. He looks at all his accomplishments and says that they are but a breath of wind a vapor, something that passes before it ever fully existed. Our reading for today leaves us with one of the cheeriest thoughts of all. The teacher says, what do mortals get from all their toil and strain which they, with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is vexation. 
Even at night, their minds do not rest. Good news there for the insomniacs of the world. This week, we find in the words of Holy Scripture that everything we do is so ephemeral that it is gone before it's fully formed. The Bible gives us the definitive word from a man who has really made it to the top and found that all he had seen and done and become is worthless. The teacher describes himself saying, I had everything a man could desire, and yet there was nothing worthwhile anywhere. If you read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, the picture gets even bleaker. We have the second verse, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Using heather literally, that would be something like a puff of wind of a puff of wind, everything is fleeting. The New Living Translation does an even greater job of, of capturing the sense of the words by writing, everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless. Now that's a Bible verse that you're not gonna see emblazoned on a t-shirt anytime soon. We can read further and it only gets worse. In chapter three, he writes, I saw under the sun in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. In the fourth chapter, he writes, I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. And most fortunate of all are those who were never born, for they have never seen all the evil that is done in all our world. Ecclesiastes goes on for 12 chapters of brutal honesty. It sounds at times like it was written by Eeyore or Marvin the paranoid android. Maybe we caught Solomon or whomever the writer is on a bad day. And if you think wealth will save you from all this misery, you'd be wrong. He writes, those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. What is the advantage of wealth except to watch it run through your fingers? A very different way of perspective from Jesus's point in the parable of the rich fool. If you think that your work will bring you deep satisfaction, you'd be wrong. He writes, all human toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. One more example shows exactly how depressed this king is. He writes, I have observed something else in this world of ours. The fastest runner does not always win the race and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise are often poor and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. The teacher seems content to pose all these questions without giving any lengthy discourse that can be considered an answer. If you think that you'll find the answer in a book, even this book, the teacher clears that up too, writing of many books, there is no end and much study is weariness of flesh. So what in the world is this depressing little book doing tucked in after the great poetry of the Psalms or the pithy statements of Proverbs? Well, firstly, this book kills our very 21st century attempt at slogan theology. The teacher would scoff at too blessed to be depressed, saying that the person who wrote it probably had observed too little of the world. Ecclesiastes also shows us 
that it's biblical to question all that we have seen and experienced. The teacher's not afraid to present life in all its contradictory absurdity. He shows us that before leaping to any conclusions, it's important to pause just long enough to take in a breath of fresh air. In a world that will pressure you to have all the answers and present a public face that says you have your act together, the teacher says all of that is meaningless. It's fine to have more questions than answers. It's even all right to find yourself blessed and depressed sometimes. That doesn't make you any less Christian, it just makes you all the more human. And being human is the key to understanding Ecclesiastes. Through his questioning, the teacher learns his place in the universe, understanding what a fleeting breath of wind human life is teaches humility. Being humble is no small trick for a great king who possesses land, property, and wealth, exceeding all who have come before him. Seeing how fleeting and meaningless all his possessions are humbles the writer. Then, through this book of questions, the teacher hints at the answers. Woven in the very fabric of this book is the idea that everything we have is a gift from God to be enjoyed. The teacher says that God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. He tells us that God has made everything beautiful for its own time. The way to find fulfillment is to live a God-centered life and to take joy in the gifts God has given you rather than to join in the all-too-human pursuit of things you don't have. At last, the teacher writes, I have noticed one good thing at least, that it is a good thing for people who, to eat well, drink a glass of good wine, and enjoy their work, whatever they do under the sun, for however long God lets them live. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. People who do this rarely look with sorrow on the past, for God has given them reasons for joy. He tells us that life is fleeting, but rather than being upset by that, he concludes that we should get the enjoyment out of life that we can. Live life to the fullest by enjoying what you have or can achieve, rather than by an endless pursuit of things that will not in themselves bring happiness, like the rich fool of the parable. If you are not happy with what you have now, you will not become happier by getting more of it. For happiness does not come from stuff, from things. Know and appreciate what you have as a gift from God. Take joy in the many good things God has given us. We have been blessed. Perhaps not always too blessed to be depressed, but blessed nonetheless. If you take joy in what you have already been given and enjoy the work as a gift from God, then you will have little to look back on with sorrow, for God has given you reasons for joy. Amen.